Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Hello, good people. We are here for the second episode of our fifth season of Everybody Loves Bliss. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Wow, in the last week since we talked, wow, there's been so many changes. We're still, um, most of us uh, still quarantined, dealing with uh, this COVID pandemic. And uh, some of us have even been curfewed who weren't curfewed before. And just in that last week, since we last talked, um, the information just, it feels like it's changing daily. And we're going to have a conversation about the changes. Um, we went from being advised, maybe we should be using a mask to definitively, we need to be wearing masks as we go outside. Um, yesterday was a uh, was uh, World Health Day, and uh, we got to watch our VP, uh, Vice President Pence, talk about the strides that we're making uh, in healing uh, this virus. And yet, in this week, if you've been paying attention, you've heard numerous articles and reports coming out stating that African-American people are catching and dying from the coronavirus at alarming rates. And what's uh, even more alarming about that is that that information is getting very little coverage in mainstream media. Uh, most of the articles that we've seen have been in social media. And that's alarming to me and it's scary. And I have a wonderful guest with me today, uh, I have Dr. Cleo Monago uh, with me today. Say hi, good doctor. Greetings, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. And let me just um, my my most of the folks who are listening have heard your name before on the show. Uh, or so back, we actually had uh, two gentlemen who um, came on the show and actually introduced me, if you will, to you. Uh, in a certain way, they wanted to talk about um, the concept of SGL versus being um, LGBTQ as it pertains to being, a, being an African-American person, or or it could just be a Black person, and you'll explain, but who identifies as homosexual. And we're not going to talk too much about that, but you'll give us a better understanding of what that means. But I want to uh, let our audience know that, um, Dr. Monago, you have been a panelist on several uh, TV shows. You've been on CNN. I know you've been a guest host many times on um TV One, you're often a panelist uh, with uh, the Roland Martin Show. You are a behavioral and cultural expert. Um, and that's a little bit different than being a psychologist or psychiatrist or even a social worker. Um, I, as we were talking offline, you explained to me that your studies are, are anthropological. Is that correct? Anthropological and connected to public health and culture. Okay. Okay. And you identify yourself as a human rights activist, a researcher, a political analyst. You're also the CEO of the Amasi Centers for Black Wellness and Culture. And you're also the founder and chief advisor for the Black Men's uh, Exchange, um, which is a national organization. And your focus there is anti-oppression policy and advocacy. Wow. Um, you call your, you call, now you call your organization, um, it, it's an organization, but it's also 
a movement. Is that correct? Can can you explain a little bit about what a Masi Center is, um, and what the Black Men's Exchange is? Okay. Well, the Amasi Center is a community wellness center that provides critical thinking and coach affirmation uh, strategies and techniques and encouragement among Black people because we are trained to pretty much assimilate and um, accept things and perfect assimilation instead of perfect the healing of Black people. And the strategy, which is sometimes called a movement behind Amasi, is not only to create health and well-being opportunities, education, and counseling, but to bridge any gaps between diverse Black people that has led us to be fragmented and unable or unwilling to work together to collectively heal, defend, and empower Black people. It's my perspective that that fragmentation, whether it's across issues of sexuality, across gender between Black men and women, across class, across complexion, all of these reasons to have conflict or question each other's worth gets in the way of us collectively working together to empower people called Black. Almost all groups, despite differences, are able to do that because they weren't enslaved and purposely targeted to be confused. For example, when you go to Chinatown, it might be called Chinatown, but there are Laotians there, Vietnamese there, Thai people there, people from 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 Saigon there. It's not all Chinese. There's a bunch of Asians who have decided to collectively work on behalf of the Asian collective to ensure political and economic power. And that's what Black people need to do. So part of the agenda of the Amasi Center is to build bridges to Black people and repair fragmentation through conversation, through counseling, through educational forums, through media, multimedia, interfaces and different types of ways with that goal. Black Men's Exchange, on the other hand, does similar work, but is specifically focused on diverse Black men with unusual consideration for same-gender loving and bisexual men. The reason I say unusual is because traditionally Black organizations have not explicitly acknowledged that part of the population, which has created some more of that fragmentation that I just referenced earlier. And instead of just allowing that community to be left to the whims of white folks in the LGBT community, which is a racist community, a space was created to provide safe space to do healing work, et cetera, particularly for, for, for diverse black men, which includes heterosexual black men as well. Okay. So with that, I mean, I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a second. I just want to ask um, if we can get you a little bit closer to your mic. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners understand we are in the, the, the times of COVID. Um, it unfortunately is not possible in terms of doing interviews to do these interviews in person. And, and my, my group knows I, I love to have a glass of wine with my, with my uh, guests and be one-on-one, but that's not, a, um, you know, it's not a, uh, an option now. Um, so I'm just going to ask you to get just a little bit closer to the mic so we can hear you clearly. I don't want the audience to miss a thing, a word of what you're saying, because that's really important. Um, you were explaining about the uh, 
uh, Black Men's Exchange, in that it specifically is to basically to um, I, I, identify and help with the issue specifically of the, and you use the term SGL and bisexual male population, even though there is, in, you, you will include if um, there is a, a Black male who is heterosexual in that collective. Um, and you're dealing with the, the negative cultural aspects of white supremacy, basically, Basically, I I said the word you didn't um, and how that affects the black male. Um, I want you to and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I I want since you have been introduced uh, to the podcast before in previous episodes. And I I don't think we did a great job of clearly understanding what that means and, and how SGL is different from LGBTQIA. Elemental P, because there's so many alphabets. I don't. I, I honestly, I'm not. And I, and I know I'm. I'm being flippant, but I, I mean, I it, there's just so many at this point in time. How that differs, um, and that is a that is a, a term, a phrase that I I wasn't familiar with prior to hearing your name attached to that. So we're going to give you give you the credit for that SGL and that same gender loving. But how is that different from somebody who is? So it, it represents, it means homosexual, basically, someone who loves the same gender. But how is that different from just being gay, just being gay or LGBTQ? Would it, would it, so that the listeners understand the difference? Well, that would be the quick. Can you hear me, first of all? I can hear you, and it's better. It's clearer from my end. And I hopefully uh, okay. the listeners will hear you. Well, what you just said would be the equivalent of saying, well, Negro is there already. So, you know, why? complicate things with African-American or black. And so my point to you is that, well, before I go any further, I want to say to your audience, you started off with such a off issue relevant to COVID-19 directly, though this is important because of the last show, as you mentioned, I want your listeners to know that this is not my wheelhouse. Sexuality, including homosexuality and these issues is not where I live. It's a part of my portfolio of social change interest and black Thank you for saying that, but go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And and black black unity and problem solving interests is in my portfolio of issues that we need to address and deal with in ways that affirm black people and that reduce the white supremacy interference. Because because this issue is so rarely talked about, particularly rationally among black people, that as soon as you mention it, people just go there and stay there. For example, and I'll be real quick with this. I was on a show with a guy named Umar that oh, I invited him on the show. Lord on the show. Mercy. Did you? I invited, oh, God. Well, see, I, and I, I didn't expect all that. I'm just making a point. Uh, <laughs> but, I invited let's him on, be clear. Let me let me just say you are speaking of Dr. Umar Johnson. Let's just be clear. And and the reason why I, I have to do that is that at, in previous episodes, I did a whole episode because I've often defended Dr. Johnson. And there was an episode, a few episodes back, I can't tell you which one it was, where there was a situation with Dr. Johnson that I had so many of my listeners emailing me and questioning me about that I had to address it. Something that, and I I won't go into the details of that, but I had to explain my position as uh, Umar Johnson's supporter um, in spite of the situation that was going on at that time. So I just want to be clear. 
with the audience. You are speaking of Dr. Umar Johnson, and I'm not here to defend with this. I want you to say what you have to say, but you can say who you're specifically who you're talking about because my, <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, I don't play around with my listeners. I, you know, I got well, my I didn't want to, I don't want to dwell on him. I don't want to even want to no, dwell on but, him but now. But you, now my goal is not to go on no dwell. People could look this up. <laughs> the reason I brought this up is because only on my for show, example, only on Everybody for, Loves Bliss would we have this. Let me take a sip of this wine, by the way. Go ahead. Take two sips. Anyway, for example, <laughs> I invited him on on the show on Roland Martin's radio show when I was a guest host to talk about his 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 so called school and, and other kind of things back then. And somebody warned him that Cleo Monago addresses the sexuality stuff, so he was occupied with that. So during during the actual conversation, instead of us talking about all the things that I had on had in mind. He focused on that and obsessed on that issue. So the reason I raised that is an example of when you try to talk about other issues like COVID-19, which is killing people and which is really the most topical issue. When you bring that up among audiences, sometimes they stay there. Okay. So I'm trying. So I'm trying to let people know that I don't stay there. That's not where I live. I can talk about it with great expertise if someone requests that I do. But I can do the same thing about cultural anthropology, about public health, about epidemiology, about behavior science, and particularly about behavior science and culture, because that's where I live. Okay. And because black people have behaviors, which include sexuality and other things that we might address, I have to create space for that community because the black community generally does not. And it has caused damaging effects that we may or may not get into that need to be remedied. And my life is based on strategy to help with the Black collective. Well, thanks for explaining that. But you do understand the reason why I needed to, to bring that up. Is yeah, because, yeah. Well, you made it clear. Yeah, because you made it clear. Because, and because most people don't un- have never heard the term SGL. They don't understand that there's a... Well, for you specifically, there's a difference between being uh, LGBTQ and identifying as SGL. And I, I just want you to explain the difference so that the audience understands, okay. please. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm going to attempt to do this in an abbreviated way. Thank you. <laughs> how we how we discuss sexuality in the Western world is based on Germans. Germans came up with the terms heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, etc., before they came up with those terms, we didn't. A lot of us did not refer to each other in these sexual bubbles. The European tends to do a lot of splicing and dicing of the human experience. For example, there are women who have male qualities in quotes. There are men who have female qualities in quotes, which which when in fact all these are human qualities. And when a man wants to nurture love, pick a flower, or be something other than what I call hardcore black male drag or man drag and want to just be human, that's not being feminine. That's being a human being. And that's make it, and that's them showing their dimension and nuance as a human person. But, and you're not but saying... In the, but, in the, but in the Western world, let me finish this thought. But in the Western world, certain things are called feminine with the implication that men shouldn't do it, quote unquote. Certain things are called female with the implication that women shouldn't do it. And all of these um, differentiations and categorizations came out of Europe. Okay. But, I, but in saying that, I just want to be, because it's it sounds like 
and I, I don't want to get into this too much, but you're not buying oh, into that. How, how are we going to do that? No, <laughs> you know, let me, let me just tell our audience. Let me let me just share this because they, they don't get it. We have a relationship outside of this 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 podcast that is quite humorous <laughs> and we have conversations and debates all the time. We're not doing that now, but I just so they understand the dynamics, because before when they when I spoke about Dr. Cleo Monago, I didn't know Dr. Cleo Monago, but in the in the few years that I've known you, we've had quite some times. Anyway, so getting back to police. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that you're not, because what often happens when we talk about, you said something about the black male drag, the, the masculine male drag. You're not someone who buys- Hyper-masculine. hyper So you're not somebody who buys into the idea of toxic black masculinity. That's not something that you're- you're promoting as an idea. I'm, I'm no. I, okay. Okay. So I don't want no, anyone no, 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 no. who heard you say that to equate that with this, this um, misleading idea of toxic black masculinity. And I just wanted to clarify that because I well, know, some, no, I know somebody listening to you say that would okay. automatically attach that idea to what you just said. Well, now I got to explain that. Oh, Lord. Um, oh, oh, well, Lord. Hey, I got to <laughs> We bring it in the Lord if you want to anyway. <laughs> We won't be here a while, people. Get your <laughs> um, By the way, let me just tell the audience. Let me pause you. I'm I have a Cabernet Sauvignon. I try to tell the audience what I'm drinking. So they can go <laughs> grab a glass. And 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 just so they know, you're doing all this and you don't even have a glass in front of you. I'm the only one drinking. I have a no, I'm having a double of sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. um, Black men, because of the perpetual and relentless attack on black male, on black male humanity, on black male capacity to, to show up as men who can independently operate as leaders, as nurturers, as human beings who happen to be male, there's been and still is an ex- deadly, brutal, extreme, perpetual attack on black manhood. And we're inside of a patriarchal culture built by white males who are extremely patriarchal. Women couldn't vote until five minutes ago and, and, and had, didn't have no rights until five minutes ago because it was so patriarchal. My point is that while this society is hyper-patriarchal, black males have not had the uninterrupted opportunity to simply be male in this context that tends to privilege maleness. So that, so that attack on manhood in a patriarchal culture has led black men to overcompensate in terms of how we show up. What's up, brother? Chains and crips and bloods. And there's all kinds of stuff that we do, which are all a compensatory act to make up for black manhood anxiety, which results into what I call um, hyper black male drag and, and an overcompensating black male performance, which is contrived. I'm not doing the judgmental finger pointing black male toxic toxic stuff because that, that there's some anti-black male agendas and, and white supremacy uh, carryover in that crap too. So I'm not saying that. I'm contextualizing okay. behavior that black men do and sometimes our capacity to, to address homosexuality which is considered feminization all kinds of things of black males and an interruption of the black male resurrection campaign because of that agenda, we have we don't have rational conversations about this issue. Therefore, we don't create safe space for black male diversity. And I do. Okay, and with you saying that, 
I just want to be clear. So we're going to get back on track and we're going to, um, I just want to make sure that we're clear about the, what, so we have the difference between SGL and LGBTQ I, so we can get back to I, COVID. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could be very precise now that I brought that context because of something that you mentioned around black male drag. Anyway, LGBTQ, et cetera, is an example of white people compartmentalizing and chopping up sexual sexuality and doing what they do to create these different caveats. The caveats are LGBTQ, et cetera, questioning, et cetera. And that's why I brought up this issue of white people compartmentalizing things initially, because that's what LGBTQ is an example of. None of that compartmentalization is helpful to black people. It's designed by black people. And the white gay community does not even affirm or acknowledge black people, not unless you're buying their if th- their agenda and just basking in it, not doing anything for black people. For example, almost every well-known, same gender loving black person in this country has a white partner. RuPaul, oh, Donald, okay. Wanda Sykes. <laughs> you're you're, getting, it, you're, you're are, getting into there territory. Are are, there are people who are, let me finish. Oh, I'm almost Lord. finished, but it's the truth. These are people who are, these are people who are, well, it's the truth, and you know it's the truth. These are people who are basking in the LGBTQ mm. paradigm, but not really affirming blackness. So if you're same gender loving, you don't, you might be homosexual, bisexual, but you can't do LGBTQ because it's so white. Wow. Oh, Lord, let me take another sip because you know, you, this, I, I didn't know you were going here, but you know, it's always a surprise for me. <laughs> it's your fault. It's your fault. I, th- well, I, I just wanted about- you to explain oh, the difference, yeah. damn it. Okay, but I appreciate you. Yes, you did. Well, did I do that? In, in the, in the way I that only that? you would, good doctor. But um, but I appreciate that because... Well, you asked me. <laughs> but we're gonna wait, and I, I want and I and thank you for explaining that. And and um, we're we're going to have another conversation specific to that another time. But I want to go into um, because we talk about agendas, and we talk about you talked about a lot in the ways that white supremacy affects black the black person, the black psyche, um, as pertaining to sexuality, but it affects us across the board and let's get back to to covid and what we've been hearing this week uh the alarming articles and reports talking about um african americans catching the coronavirus not only catching it um but dying from it um and and let me just let me just go over some of the stats so what we have here uh, just in the last couple of days, it is reported that 70% of the victims coming out of Louisiana are black. We have out of Michigan, 35% of the population that has Corona is black and 40% of the deaths are black people as compared to 25% of the victims of Corona and 26% of the victims um, of who are who have actually succumbed to the disease um, who are white. Now, when you keep in mind that the state of Michigan is only 14% black, that is absolutely absurd. Um, it is reported or has been reported that the COVID victims out of Chicago, that out of those victims, 70, 70% are black. Um, and it goes on and on. Um, 50% 
of the cases in Milwaukee County, which of course includes uh, the city of Milwaukee. Um, 81% of the deaths have been black folks. The area, that county, Milwaukee, uh, county is only 26% black. Um, and to give another alarming statistics, uh, we are looking at uh, 65% now of the deaths in Washington state being black. And just yesterday, I'm, I'm based out of Maryland, as most people know, um, the governor here has decided that they are going to start keeping race um, analytics, uh, race statistics in terms of corona, the virus, um, those patients who actually have contracted the disease and the deaths, they're going to start to use that. Um, that is alarming. That is scary. Um, I, I here's 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 what I, I I'm torn with. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. The other thing that came out, and let me let me make sure to add this, is that most of those deaths, when we, we talk about the collective of Black people who are who are um, Corona victims, that we are seeing that most of those deaths and most of the Corona victims in that and those statistics are middle aged Black men. Um, now, I spoke last week about the fact that we had information, pertinent information from both uh, doctors, Abdul Malim Muhammad, who is a naturopathic doctor. Um, also, the information early in that came from China also supported the data that men were mostly affected by the coronavirus. But now we have these statistics that are race specific. Um, they're not, for me, not getting enough attention. Um, but, but then... When I think about the information, I don't know how we should decipher that information. I don't know what to believe about that because depending on what you believe about the coronavirus, um, that it's uh, biochemical warfare, and, and we don't, I don't want to get too much into that, or that um, it specifically has um, has a liking for melanated skin, so that would. Um, explain the numbers um, in China because they are not highly melanated people, but melanated people. Uh, so that may help to make sense of that. But when we know how systems work, if we if we thought of if we think of Corona as something that is man-made, we know that those things. Whenever there's an an, uh, an issue or a question or a conspiracy theory that talks about any kind of biochemical, any kind of really negative. Um, impacting um, event that happens that we can trace back to an origin that has to do with um, deliberate corruption and deliberate control. We are never not included in that. We have a we have a history of that in this country and globally. So, I guess my 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 question to you is: What do you believe is going on? Um. And what should we be doing with the information? Those are my first two questions for you. Okay, well, um, to contextualize what I'm going to address first, you, you talked about men. Well, you talked about not sure, being sure you can trust the information. And then you talked about the disproportionate impact of men and clearly black men because um, men are who are impacted more than women, apparently. From the information, um, right. From the, from the reports. I have to I have to preface my comments with I don't okay. know what to believe either. Um, the press is racist, biased, loves to sensationalize black 
struggle. Some people call it a black pain porn, if you will. Um, and they're always finding new ways to say, oh, my God, you black people are really, really struggling. Now, interestingly enough, there's about 1.5 million reported cases in the world, and over half of those are in Europe. Um, over half the cases in the world of HIV, excuse me, wrong disease, of coronavirus, I'm thinking about that, and I'll get to that in a moment, of coronavirus is Euro- Europeans. So what a, what a strange dichotomy that in the world is mostly white Europeans. The United States, supposedly disproportionately, is black people. Well, if you look at some of the health issues that people in Italy who died were dealing with, you'll see some contrast. Um, the people who were dealing with this issue and dying in Italy were dealing with high blood pressure and heart disease. And in China... I haven't studied that closely, but you also got to remember that China is huge with billions and billions of people. So even when you look at the number of people who have been impacted, they're less than 1% of the population, given how large the continent is. But when it comes to issues like diabetes, heart disease, and, and um, stroke, those are issues that black men have disproportionately to every group in this country, including black women. So with the, with the pre-existing conditions being connected to kidney disease, liver disease, heart disease, stroke, et cetera, that's in the wheelhouse of, of what black asthma men are too. doing in this let's, country. Let's, let's, let's mention yeah. asthma because the um, stats are three times yeah. higher. Yeah. And, and, and those comorbidities, especially around mm-hmm. respiratory yeah. systems with corona, yeah. would speak to the possibility of that information being uh, correct. And I, I, I'm not discounting the information. I, I just want to be clear about that. I'm not, I'm not making a statement about whether I believe it or not, because whether it's true or not, we got to deal with it and we got to act like it is true. I, I agree. And the other issue I want to mention, in addition to the diabetes and heart disease related matters that are specific to black men in terms of proportion is black men and this gets back to some of the black male drag um, symptoms, are not as easily in relationship with their emotions as women, including black women. You know, black women relative to black men and women, period, relative to men, tend to be more emotionally honest and have a functional relationship with their emotionality, particularly when it comes to pain, etc., Black men and men in particular, but black men in particular who are hyper concerned about manhood are always being told to man up. Matter of fact, that's a black created term. And a lot of the stuff that when they talk about being a man came out of the what I call the black resurrection campaign so, booklet. Are you suggesting? So, so in closing to that thought, well, I'm, no, let me finish the thought. The thought, the, the thought is that trauma, unresolved trauma and repression that's disproportionate to black men could be another re- reason that any anything that's respiratory could be exacerbated because it takes breathing being emotional honest helps you so to there's a susceptibility you're saying to the emotional trauma that well we know emotional trauma affects the immune system my whole sh- first my whole show last Absolutely. week was about um things that uh people across the board need to be doing um, in terms of boosting their immune system, because that's the conversation that ha- has has been uh, left out of what we've been seeing in the mass media. We have not in, in, in mainstream media about what yeah. people can do besides washing their hands to keep safe. So the emotional trauma 
makes the immune system weak. We understand that. So you're saying that the the high propensity of emotional trauma um, in the black male specifically, you're correlating that to the susceptibility of the disease, which I'm with you on that. Okay. Okay. Along with hypertension and high blood pressure, when I go to the doctor and I get a physical, even if it's a different doctor than the other one, they always comment on, you're a black man and you have really good blood pressure. It's because they're not used to seeing that, apparently. I mean, it must must be unusual because they keep complimenting or c- commenting on it. So between the emotional repression and lack of emotion, lack of space to be emotionally authentic, and you called it, you called it something else, which I, th- which I think does fit um, emotional trauma, and trauma generally as a problem that Black people experience, particularly Black men who don't have the emotional space to actually engage it and resolve it, along with hypertension and high blood pressure, I could see how COVID-19 could be particularly impactful to Black men. 76.1% of the patients who died in Italy had hypertension or high blood pressure. Interesting. I was, I again, I was not aware of that. Um, also, you know, let, let's talk about the, the, I, the, idea of what we should be doing now. There was this interesting um, tidbit that came out in terms of where we should be testing. And um, we know here in the United States, there's talk about working on a vaccination uh, for COVID-19, which um, they're saying is about 18 months out. My fear about the information and about this move towards the vaccination is that there will be an attempt to make it a globally mandatory vaccination. Um, and again, I'm, I, I, and I said this in the last show and I'm going to say it now, I'm not, for anybody listening, I, I'm not making a recommendation. I'm not telling you what you should and should not do. I do not take vaccinations. I've never had a, I, I cannot remember ever having a flu shot. I generally uh, will resist any kind of uh, new vaccination when it comes out. Those, um, HPV and all that that stuff. I, 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 it's just not for me. It's just a personal choice, and 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 I, I'm not saying what you should or should not do. And um, with that being said, there is this push for vaccination, and there is a push for testing. In fact, there were two French doctors that suggested Africa would be the place, basically saying Africa should be, um, Africans should be used as guinea pigs for testing and and trials for COVID vaccinations, which uh, is absolutely it speaks to the continued global um, idea of um, devaluing. Black lives to me. That's that what that's what it speaks to, and I, and I know you feel the same. But, 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 yeah, I agree with you. But, but there's, a, there's an addendum to that that I will perpetually okay. push. White people and what they do is what white people do. Even the Native Americans refer to them as having forked tongue. So just like Donald Trump has been consistently Donald Trump since before he was president and was running. And it's the same dude people talking smack about now because they don't like him. He's he's being consistently him. What black people need to stop doing is is even thinking that our salvation or or protection is in their hands or or all, even critiquing what they do and do not do in relation to the black people. But it needs well, to be no. We need to, we, we need I, I we agree need with you to, to certain degree become self self contained and build for ourselves because and, and be real honest about who white folks really are. 
I agree with you to a certain degree. Um, the, the problem with that is that we have to be aware and we have got to be reactive to a certain degree. That idea of having Africa as a center for testing has got to be addressed by people, by, by Africans. Yeah. And, oh, I and agree. In fact, I what agree. happened, um, there was a report that came out yesterday in the Ivory Coast. There was an attempt to build a testing center there and the actual um, uh, the actual uh, people of the country, the, the actual uh, native people of the country, because there are all kinds of people in the Ivory Coast, and I'm talking about the Africans of the Ivory Coast, decided they weren't having it. And the center was actually destroyed. Also, um, it's been recorded that the Nigerian uh, Medical Association uh, had decided or has decided that they want to reject uh, their government's invitation to a collective of Chinese uh, a Chinese medical team coming over there to get involved with uh, testing and um, research for COVID-19. Um, they've decided that the medical association has decided that they would prefer not to have the Chinese team come over. So it is important that um, I understand what you're saying, but we've got to be aware and we've got to address these um Uh, these agendas when they happen. So we, I understand what you were saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I said addendum, okay. not instead of, because I agree that what you're saying needs to occur, but what I don't hear enough of for, okay. For example, I am completely expecting white people to do exactly what they did. And I'm relieved and pleased that the Nigerians and people in different parts of Africa are saying, hell no. So that's good to hear. However, those are unfortunately not the norms yet in terms of all of Africa and all people of African descent arming themselves against white supremacy agendas, which are white supremacy mythological agendas, which are perpetual. I mean, we should expect white people to do exactly what they what they what they're doing. We should tell our children about this human corruption problem that's in their midst that they need to not fall for, because most of our people in the United States fall for the white supremacy okey-doke, whether it's through passive complacency or through straight-up adaptation and assimilation. And, and, and people and people resisting it are can call hoteps and militants and God oh, getting all kinds of strange names as, op as opposed to people who are trying to guard well, black you, you know, that, that idea of the hotep being used as a pejorative, I, 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 I have a, a lot of issue with that and we won't go into that, but I, I want to say this. So to the listeners, because I have listeners that listen from all over the world and I have listeners of all different races, you are specific in talking about what happens with white people specifically in terms of, um, the systemic, um, use of of white supremacy as a way of oppression against black people, not just African Americans, of, but globally. And I I know that there are some people who are hearing this, and hearing you use the terms uh, or mentioning white people, um, really as the opposition, who are going to hear that. And going to um, and I won't say racist because if we understand racism, if you're if you're a person of color, 
you really are not in its definition. You, you really can't be considered racist if people really understand racism. You can be considered prejudiced, biased. Are you that? And explain why you are you, you believe you are or are not and what that means. Because the person listening into this... Po- no, and I, and I, 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 I want you to do that because the, I, one of the things is that it is hard for people to listen to information that holds their collective or their group accountable. It is uncomfortable. Um, it is unusual for a lot of people. And so, but it is necessary conversation. So from your perspective, explain why you are very specific in using the term white supremacy and you're specific to white people in terms of how you address the oppression that black people deal with globally and consistently because we're talking about systemic racism and we're talking about systems that are built and that have maintained themselves and function off of the oppression of other people. So can you give me a brief of, for for the person listening that is having a hard time swallowing this conversation, hearing you say what you say? Because there is, I mean, it it is what it is. I mean, you know, I I get it. I understand it. But hopefully, um, you you know, once people listen once and and hopefully listen again, maybe they need uh, a stronger alcoholic beverage to get through it. But but uh, can you explain that and why that's important for you to say and why you are very specific in that? Because, and, 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 I'll, and I'll pause in a minute, because really, if we deal with um, some of what's happened with Chinese folks being in Africa and, and acting in a lot of the same ways that racist white people have acted towards black people, you could say, um, this idea of, of, of Asian quote unquote supremacy, if you wanted to deal with just the behavioral aspects of racism, you, if you were talking about that, that specific narrative there, but B, can you, can you explain why you are very specific and, and, and very direct by the way, in the way you have this conversation, please. Okay. Well, first of all, I always say white supremacy myth. I never use the word white supremacy dangling by itself because it's a myth. And the implication of it, which is that black people are inferior, are myths. So I call it white supremacy mythology. Getting back to the Chinese people, to make my point, is that Chinese people who are the major manufacturer of goods in this country, including all over the world, learn how to master what other people do and perfect it. I mean, you can go to soul food restaurants right now that are cooking decent soul food, but everybody in the back is Chinese. So my point to you is that Chinese people learn how to oppress black people by watching whites and watching what white systems have done to black people. They perfect and watch other cultures, learn their stuff, put together on their own terms and reuse it to sell it back to those people. So that's what they're doing in terms of copying colonialism that whites have done, and they're just doing what whites have done because they're the masters of creating and deceiving people into colonizing them. Getting back to why I even brought up white supremacy in, in my previous comments, it was in the context of you mentioning that there were people using Africa as a Africans for guinea pigs. Well, the people who invented using Africa for guinea pigs and who originally suggested it 
when it comes to COVID-19 solutions were white folks. So the whole idea to go to a continent and use it and the people there to experiment on them, which means that the treatment might be deadly, they're, they're basically doing human experimentation like they did to us with Tuskegee and other studies in the United States. This is not me being radical or militant or being mean to quote unquote white people. The contexts are based on facts that folks who are inside of the white collective have used their blood money slash privilege to experiment on other people. And what Chinese people are doing in Africa are replicating what black what white folks have done historically in Africa. Even the damn name Africa, Nigeria, all that stuff came from white folks. These are all imposter names that white people have come up with similar to the conversation on sexuality, which I walk away from that white people have derived, which has been divisive to black people. So this is not an issue of saying that all white people are bad or not. I don't even have a conversation unless somebody asks me to. The conversation is based on white racist systems that insist on being in power and insist on running things and who often use black people as their go-to to experiment for themselves to see if what they're going to do with human beings works out or not at the life risk of, of African people. Okay. That's a fact. Anybody white and concerned about anything I'm saying, gotta, all they got to do is read. All they got to do is look up Manifest Destiny. Which are, and, and it's the same mentality that leads to white people being well, destructive to other people. Well, you, you understand that in this country, when you learn anything of history, and you know this, that, that when you learn anything of history about black people, you learn from the start of slavery. Our introduction here has always been as the slave. Yeah. So that does create a mental dynamic, yeah. whether you consider yourself racist or not, of an idea of superiority, whether you think you, you function from that perspective perspective or not, it does do that. And you learn that from the time you understand history and you learn that in the school systems here um, very early on. So it does create that dynamic. And I have to agree with you on that. And, and with that, with the information that we're dealing with, because again, you and I both um, agree that we we don't know what to believe in terms of this information that we're getting about COVID and how it is affecting the the Af- the since we're talking about this country, the African American or the um, the uh, black immigrant that may be living here now. Now, based on an op-ed um, that New York Times columnist um, Charles Blow uh, just gave, he estimates that if the numbers are correct, that we're looking at a hundred thousand to one million black folks being victims, meaning some succumbing to the virus by the end of the year. And 40 to 70% of those people, if the statistics and if the information is correct, would be black men. Now, go ahead. Well, I, I would say that he's right because, I mean, even Tom Hanks, who is a famous white man, who one of the initial people in the United States reportedly having it, having COVID-19, he has type 2 diabetes. So when you look at disproportionately who's facing type 2 diabetes at record numbers, again, hypertension, etc., it's black folks. It's black men. When you add the heart, particularly when you add the heart disease and stroke implications to it, because there's women in high numbers among black folks who get diabetes as well. But when you add the cold factors like the stroke, heart disease, which is primarily 
black male territory in this society, I believe that okay. Blow is right. But what bothers me is that usually, and this is what happens among white folks, when you when you project something, instead of watching the fire come, you effectively create barriers to what actually occurring. You don't just make the prediction and go have, go have lunch. You make the prediction, and then you you immediately prepare to deflect this from coming into being because you don't want to be want it to come into being, and you use the fact that there's been a forecast to stop well, it from ever coming. Why do we do it all the time for them? Well, the information we get us. in terms of how we are even dealt with in the medical system is incorrect. And and one of the things that has come up in my research is that most Black people don't understand that. A, a deficiency, let's say vitamin D, which is a vital, it, my research has shown that it's a vital nutrient in fighting disease and keeping the immune system strong. I, I touched on this very briefly again in the last episode, but what I, I want to explain to Black folks listening to this is that the testing that's done in this country, and, and I would assume globally, for just vitamin D for African-Americans is incorrect. And this has been supported. I've had conversations with several doctors. It's one of the things that Dr. Um, Layla Africa, who just passed away, um, talked about. Um, often, if you go to the YouTubes and look at what Dr. Africa talked about, he talked a lot about vitamin D deficiency. I've had conversations. I just had a conversation before speaking with you with um, naturopathic Dr. Um, Bob Johnson earlier today. Um, and there's information that trickles in, you got to look for it, is that vitamin D for Black people, when you're getting tested for vitamin D, and a lot of us will, will come up deficient, but vitamin D for someone who's melanated is different and it's, 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 it registers different. So if you're being tested with a standard testing here in the United States, and I'll be specific because I, I, I'm very clear on the testing here in the United States, when you test for average levels of vitamin D in this, based on the medical testing here, and you test and you're average, so that's considered normal. If you're an African-American, that level is not correct for you. That level is deficient. And when you test like most of us do, we test deficient in vitamin D. Most of us will. When we get our, our standard um, checkups, we'll come in at the very low end or deficient. If we're testing low or deficient, we're And one of the reasons why is that melanated skin, melanated people, actually the studies are showing, and those are outside studies, are showing that you need more vitamin D in your system than other people do which means that you need either to be having, uh, taking a vitamin D supplement or you need to be getting more sun. And those numbers increase for you, that need increases for you, the more melanated you are, meaning the darker you are, the more vitamin D you actually need. There's very few doctors that you're gonna go to that are gonna tell you that, or even going to understand that. And guess what's ironic about partly ironic about and that's what you're saying is that the darker you are the more sun you need we're in the united states and some people think this is i know exactly what you're getting ready to say Go ahead. um you know people there's black people i have counseled people who are in their 20s whose elders told them don't bring no dark skin person in my house 
and the and the and the frowning on dark skin has a, a lot of black people covering up their skin. When the oh, right. Or how about I, I, I remember hearing and when I was a kid and maybe not specifically to sit it being said to me, but being said, I remember hearing older folks saying, don't don't let your kids play in the sun too much. You don't want them getting dark. That's right. We we that That's is right. that is a conversation that most of us of of us have heard in some form or fashion that we should stay out of the sun. And that's a and that's a for your listeners a direct side effect of the myth of white supremacy and black inferiority because we don't want to be more inferior slash more dark. We want to be more superior slash more white, which is why most well-known black people who get any press is either with somebody light-skinned or white. These are not coincidences. These are behavioral consequences, which is why I work in behavioral health, of the impl- the implication of white inferiority and black and talk, and let's talk about some of the psychosocial effects of hearing, just hearing, even if the information is, whether information is true or not, in terms of our numbers with COVID, we know that because it's reported and because we're, we, we know that there are, there are things that negative things that impact our health anyway, that we need to be working on and changing. And again, I, I talked specifically about, um, all of us, whatever race, whoever you are, whatever race you are, building your immune system that collectively, as a collective, we we walk around thinking that we're in perfect health because we're not sneezing or coughing. But there are some of us who get a flu every year and think that that's normal behavior. It is not. You should not be getting the flu every year. Um, and that's with or without the flu shot. There are some people that get sick, that can count on getting sick every year and, and, and have just normalized that as something that's correct. But talk about specifically the psychosocial effects of just hearing we we whenever there's there's this african-american um saying that when when america gets a cold black folks got pneumonia so talk about the psychosocial effects of what happens to us or what happens to the person that hears constantly whenever there's a crisis that you are 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 your collective or your group or your 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 folks your people are being impacted negatively at a higher rate what does that do to us what is that because when aids came out aids started out when we first heard about aids aids was a white male disease it was a white gay male disease we were super comfortable with i mean not comfortable but there was a there was a kind of relief in the black community that we thought we weren't going to get it it was it was two it was two seconds later and aids was a black disease you had black gays Getting it, you had black heteros getting it through. We were getting it through sex. We were getting it through down low. We're getting it through knee. I mean, we we were just getting it, and our and 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 all of a sudden we surpassed everybody. Um, Ebola, we Ebola, well, see, Ebola well, and now COVID. What well, does that do to the to well, the psychosocial? What is the effect of that? Well, remember earlier. Remember earlier when I mentioned us being too. Cold, too focused and codependent on what white people do as if they're 
some benevolent force, which is extremely ironic to even consider that thought. But we keep on, for example, you started off the, this particular passage with the black people saying when white folks get mm-hmm. the cold, we get the flu. Well, that is a, a oppression, oppression sickness analysis that we have to get the flu now because white folks have wow. the flu. Whatever white folks do, whatever white folks do and don't do should be irrelevant to us. They ain't got nothing to do with us. Except for those of us who are addicted to them and have bought the okie doke and, and are codependent now and have bought into the fact that they're inferior and white people are superior. Those people who are lost in that, that's where they are. But the bottom line is how white people, whatever white people do and don't do needs to stop being relevant and important to black people, except for being clear about the fact that we have to defend ourselves, uplift, build and support and affirm each other to best deflect how they are and what they do to us. But we need to not be running around saying stuff like, because I don't got the flu. Okay. When white people get the cold, I don't get the flu. I don't have, I don't have heart. But wait a minute. Because I don't want none. Let me finish my point. Because I don't want none of that. I'm healthy because I believe in being health independently. I'm not concerned about white folks and their flu. And I know it's a metaphor. What it really means is what happens to them. It's always going to be worse for us. But that but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It doesn't have to be true. And that wait, we wait, think wait. is true is an injury. To but wait a minute, because we had this false narrative that started. No, we, I'm talking narrative. about a different false narrative. We had this false narrative that we were buying into initially <laughs> when, when we heard about COVID-19. There was this false narrative that circulated that black people didn't get it. Okay. So that was a disconnect that happened with us where we believe, wait, 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 wait yes. a minute. So, th- cause I, I want you to be real. Cause that, that I heard what you said, but there is certain, a certain, we can- even that narrative is white. How? Opinion. Explain that. It don't even make, it don't even make, it don't even make any sense. <clears throat> it makes no sense for early in an epidemic for black people who are so desperate for something to up be one up on white folks because we're so obsessed with them. That's where that crazy myth came from. It don't make no sense for black people early in an epidemic to even articulate something crazy like we don't get it. That we even think like that is an example of our white supremacy interruption of logic. Because first of all, because of the white supremacist interruption of Africa, they don't even have surveillance and, and epidemiological systems to track a virus like they have in the West. Because the West has everything. Because the West is prior, the West is prioritized. If we were educating our children, we wouldn't. We would have said, wait, 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 wait. Let's not even go there regarding Africans not having it. Let's not even waste our time with such a thought because we don't know enough. Given but who, but where are we getting these? Which is white but, folks about what we but, have but and don't have. We got whatever we got. Let me finish with this one thought. Whatever we got about coronavirus came from white folks. Okay, and and we're going to continue it. But we're going to continue to get it from um, um, the media, and we're going to continue and let until we're listening to these smaller groups. But in terms of access to information and under, because you and I are here having this conversation based on the the information that we have that our cases are higher. We don't know, and we are people. We you and I are both people that do our research. We're not depending on mainstream 
mainstream media. We are, I, you know, myself, I connect myself to a whole holistic group of folks and that information is back and forth. So for the average person, it is, it is hard to balance how to respond to that. I hear what you're saying. You're saying in one breath, we can't respond to everything based on how, um, uh, white folks, which so decide folks. to move and function, but on the other hand, we we've got to have enough. We got to have enough information to keep ourselves safe. And how do you balance that? That becomes. I mean, how do you do that? What I'm saying, what I'm saying, if if nothing else gets clear in this conversation from my from me talking, I want to make this clear: Black people have in the palm of our hands, and you even mentioned vitamin D. Which we can, which we all can get in vegetables. And but we gotta know it. Ways to we gotta know it. D. Do you understand? We gotta know it. But, but, but let me no, let me finish because you're absolutely right. We do have to know it, but we have to know a lot. We have to know that it's important that we become an independent people who survives based on our own wits and our own interests and our own mind instead of worrying about what white folks are doing and not doing to us. That's one of my that's one of my primary points, and that's why I brought up myself as a case study of someone who's practicing what I preach. I am healthy because I want to be. I am healthy because I deserve to be, and I'm real clear about that. And I'm healthy because I take the steps that it takes that everybody and anybody could take, not just little old me, to make sure that I'm a healthy person because I am independently interested in being healthy. I don't give a damn about what white people are doing and not doing. And getting back to your getting back to what you said about us, our conversation and what's informing it in terms of what white people are saying, both of you and I both agreed earlier in this conversation that we don't necessarily trust what we're hearing. However, and I work in a field that's relevant to health and have for many years, there are white supremacy consequences and trauma consequences and stress consequences that we're dealing with and food desert consequences, which is another result of white supremacy agendas that are leading to us being in a position of being victim of anything that that's respiratory, respiratory basis that because black people don't breathe, black men don't breathe fully. Oxygen can kill almost well, most viruses, but we're well, stressed out. And we're stressed out based on how we're treated and how we respond to that treatment, which is always passively and always in a way that keeps us in a victim state of mind. And I don't want us to stay in a, in a, in a victim state of mind because a victim state of mind perpetuates the myth. Of I think that that's order. that's important information. And, I, and I'm not discounting anything that you said, but I think that with that. Most of us, even those of us who are trying to stay healthy, who are trying to stay above the curve in terms of how we... how we deal in terms of our health and making better choices because the collect there, there's a large collective of us that are doing better. We're meditating. We're understanding um, the things that we need for our health. We're, we are trying to breathe um, in spite of, 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 of all of the negative systemic things that are happening. But that information, if we, if I'm proactive and going to the doctor and getting that information and getting tested and getting checkups and doing everything that I know to do, it still for me, isn't enough. 
And that's the challenge. It's still for us, even those of us who are making the efforts, you got to go further. And that's uh, that's why we're having this conversation. I'm but I'm one person. And it, it, it there's that challenge. There's that challenge, even for those of us who are trying to make sure we're doing all the things above and beyond and being real specific. A lot of us don't know that. I know folks that are are, are, are very um, diligent um, and 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 about m- making choices and seeking out information who don't know that information, who don't know the vitamin D correlation. So I, I, I get what you're saying, but th- the challenge is big for everybody. And it's, it is bigger for us because there aren't enough, there isn't enough information specific to us. You know, we, we, th- there's this idea that, um, race is a social construct, but race does have an effect on and on how you react to medication. It does have an effect on what your body needs and what your diet needs because, to be. So, so that, that I, I, I don't buy into the idea that it's just a social construct because there's too many things that affect just if we remove the racism, just the natural way our bodies respond and our needs are different. And it is what it is. And I and I think that we still have to refer to. Go ahead, I, you said something. We still have to re, we we still have to refer to. And let me finish because it's my provoke. And you're not provoking I, me. I just don't want to. We we still we we still have to we still while we're doing and considering the things you just said, which I agree with most of that. We still have to understand that, like Christmas, the Easter Bunny, which has black people spend all kinds of money. It has all of us doing it, and all kinds of other stuff have well I'm talking about black people now because because we do everything over the top because we are always are being compensatory for being black. We always try to make up we always try to make up for being black because we feel inferior to white people because of the construct of race, which is not constructed as a neutral phenomenon. It's constructed to do exactly what it does, which is create an artificial lower race class. And we're the we are at the opposite of the end of the race of the lower ranks of the, of the mythologicalness of white supremacy. It was created to create a, a, a constructed hierarchy and then have an antithesis. And black people are the antithesis. Yes, it's a construct, but it's a construct that has become acculturated and made and, and socialized. So it impacts us just like Christmas and Easter bunnies and all those other myths and cartoons which don't exist for real, impact our wallets our mentality and what we do around that season in the year is completely mythological based. Ain't no Easter bunnies running around with no eggs and it's all just white folks making up stuff. But the bottom line is that it's still a construct and we have to understand that so we can stop doing it. But you're, but you're right in that the construct has reverberations, but it's still a construct. And if black people understood the difference between reality and the construct, we would be much healthier people. Okay. Okay. Well, Right now, right now, what white folks do and don't do makes well, a difference. Well, but the thing, COVID is here. Um, the information that's circulating is horrifying to me for black folks, and we've got to take some kind of action. We've got it. It, it doesn't, you know, in spite of of the conditions, we've got to take some action. So that's what I, I wanted us to to 
to get to and talk about the actions that we need to take. Now, we know in terms of, of increasing the, the diet and understanding the con- construct. And there really is, you know, uh, you know, I asked that question of you and there really is so it's so multi-layered. It's so multi-layered um, what happens with us in 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 and around the systemic oppression that we constantly deal with. And health is just one of those things. It's just one of those things. And COVID right now is making that apparent for us. Um, in closing, yeah, sure. What COVID-19 does in terms of action is it provides even another opportunity to address pre-existing health disparities, all which are preventable, that Black people suffer from. We already talked earlier about how even in Italy, 71% of the people who are dealing with it are dealing with hypertension and issues that are disproportionate for Black people. Okay, so there is, there is that so comorbidities with us, the response. Okay. Yes, yes. So what provides, what, it, what, what COVID-19 does, it provides us with another opportunity to explore resolution to those pre-existing conditions. Because heart disease, diabetes, type two in particular, et cetera, stroke, all of this stuff is preventable. But it's not as easily preventable if we're caught up psychologically in the myth of our inferiority. Because the myth of our inferiority impacts our motivation to resolve Mm. problems. The myth of our inferiority motivates us to actually cope and medicate. It's food, which is one of the main medications that's leading to heart disease in black men and everybody else, along with the stressors of dealing with the question of our worth that comes out of the myth of white supremacy. These things create fights with black people. It interrupts relationships. It creates pain. It creates trauma. And these are great precursors to any disease that attacks the immune system, particularly the respiratory system. And we are at risk because of the lack of focus on these pre-existing conditions that we've been talking about, that we need to focus on and resolve and the underpinning of it, which is the driving force, which is our inferiority and our relative lack of value compared to other people, which is bolstered by the N-word that we refer to each other every day, that packages the myth of our inferiority on a daily basis. And I think that right there is is really the most pertinent piece of information that I think that um, the takeaway from from this conversation needs to be is that it does provide that opportunity for us to deal with the comorbidities that we should be as a collective addressing and dealing with um, and 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 moving to resolve because they are preventable and 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 the ways that we've gotten the information that we've gotten in Western medic uh, medicine has not helped us and and people need to understand that Western medicine is not about prevention it is about um, it is it's not even about cure. It's, it's, it's really about management. That's what Western medicine has been about. And we need to understand that. And I think that, um, and and profit profit. and profit. And, and that's the, I think that when we sum up the conversation about COVID-19 and the information and the stats, when it comes to us, I think that's the most important, important piece here. I, I think that you're right in that. It is an opportunity for us to have another conversation and to be doing something else and to rethink our health as a collective. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Um, 
and again, we we also, and I just want to go back just before we 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 kind of close this out. The social, the psychosocial effects of social distancing for us. Um, what do you think about that? Is that a is that dangerous? Is, is the social distancing? I know from a and the idea of the mechanics of keeping away from a person, f- keeping away from people physically, to protect from contracting the disease. We understand intellectually what that means. Let's talk about the social distancing and how we need to better address that. Because I know that you've talked about, um, you've, you've posted several times about the importance of us for our, 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 our mental health, which of course affects the overall holistic being, the whole overall health, um, the, the effects of distancing, but we could be doing other things to keep close. And overall keeping healthy. And and some of those things you talked about are that we need to be reaching out more via, we need to be hearing each other's voice. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're talking about the video I did some weeks ago about some people calling me about being, having anxiety around isolation. And in some cases feeling isolated because the society isolates people anyway on a human level already feeling that and this become exacerbated by the demand that they're isolated and what to do and people and these people were texting me <laughs> and I said I said first of all we need to unlearn the normalization of faceless interaction and texting and hear people's voices built inside of every smartphone is a phone number and you can actually call people and hear their voices and though we're not used to it anymore as part of Western culture we need to relearn that capacity and and reach out to people and even use some of this technology where you and I are using right now where you can talk to more than one person and have and, and, and engage your friends and engage people and support each other and have human conversations during this period and forever frankly but there was a time where black people in particular were one of the more nurturing more unified if you will um, in terms of collective consciousness and having each other's back where we actually engaged each other and our neighbors, et cetera. And that stopped because of assimilation and trying to out white white folks and do what they do. And we need to go back to human engagement, which which we can do by voice if we can't do it. And it makes a difference in terms of how it affects the psyche and the overall, again, yes. the, your your immune system and your whole um, systemic response, your home biodynamic bio, um, response, and people need to understand that. So, thank you for um, exactly like when you, like you and I like yes, you and I we laugh do. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, if, if only they knew this, the, the, the collective listening. You know, and if only and I'm Lord, I need another. But, but, but go ahead. But that. Uh, but that, uh, <laughs> They, they may not, they may not know it from this anyway. conversation, but we do. We 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 laugh a lot off offline. Crazy, right? And that's therapeutic. And that's therapeutic. And you can't hear LOL does not take the place of hearing you bust out. Oh, thank laugh. you. <laughs> well, you know what? I I, I want to thank you for uh, for actually coming on the show. If if folks knew how many times we've attempted to do this, they would they would laugh themselves at how many times we've attempted just not just this particular episode, but we've sat and recorded in the past, and for whatever reasons, those those recordings have not made it. Uh, 
on uh they've not been pu- posted or published but i am so glad that um the audience finally got to experience i don't think we meet you don't get to meet uh Cleo Monago, you have to experience Cleo Monago. So, <laughs> so my, my audience got to experience you and your perspective. And I hope that um that the the, the listeners were able to, to get um to pull out um some important some walkaways, some takeaways from this um, conversation. Um, especially my my non-black listeners, <laughs> my my non-melanated listeners, because I think the conversation, and I want to say this before closing, <laughs> these conversations are important to understanding the dynamics of how the collective functions. It's not enough that we understand how the the what is considered the majority, how they function and how what their response is. I you have to be in on the conversations of people, Black people, to understand the dynamics and the true effects of what we experience. You have to hear it from us and from our perspective in order to be really clear about what is going on and how we're affected. And I and I, I hope that that conversation does that because that to me is just as important Um or as or important, I don't know if it's just as, but it's important for for um, for folks to understand and, and for that dynamic to understand, and and for our our listeners who are melanated, who are black people, you've you've got. I think the the takeaway here is that we've got to rethink how we function on this planet, and and I agree with you that we have to take more responsibility and dig deeper um, in terms of of. Our, our specific necessities, our specific saving graces that will help us make it through because uh, the, the effects are different from uh, for us and they all they always have been and I don't I, and I'm not equating that to any specific causation. It just is what it is. It, it is just it, it just is what it is even if we weren't dealing with the dynamic of racism and white supremacy, we function differently, we are different and we should be okay with that and nurture that and understand that. So, Doctor, good doctor, Doctor Monago, thank you for having this conversation with me. Um, you will come back, of course, and thank you for. Well, good. Well, you know that wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> that was a statement. <laughs> but anyway, good people, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. And if no one has told you today, I love you and I want the best for you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.